glutathione is something else. And um, alongside with glutathione would be the, the conversation around Tylenol, why we would not do Tylenol before the vaccine and why we would, we would try and not do Tylenol after the vaccine. So Tylenol in itself can lower the immunogenicity of the vaccine, meaning lower the effectiveness. Plus, for the... Hello and welcome to ND Inspo, where our mission is to connect, grow, and inspire naturopathic doctors and students from all over. My name is Dr. Kirsten DeWitt, and today I have with me Dr. Taylor Bean. Dr. Taylor Bean is a licensed naturopathic doctor located in Maple Ridge, British Columbia in Canada. She has experience working largely with families, young ones, and mamas-to-be. She brings her wisdom as a mother of two to help women achieve a healthy pregnancy and a smooth labor. She has worked overseas in Singapore for two years, which improved her skills in chronic illness as she saw various patients in Southeast Asia, India, and Australia who were unable to find the care that they needed. From her experience working overseas to now being home and working since 2016, she has been able to blend the Eastern and Western approaches from a clinical and cultural perspective. Overall, her passion lies in supporting those with Lyme disease and co-infections, pre- and postnatal care, including labor support, pediatrics, including autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, SPD, PANDAS, and PANS, as well as digestive complaints such as SIBO and IBS, um, vaccine optimization and education, and genetic report analysis. So I am so excited to have Dr. Taylor on today because she is on a mission to help educate around vaccine optimization. And the way that Dr. Taylor talks about vaccines is truly inspiring considering the polarity that this topic has created within our profession. And so disclaimer, this episode is not about being pro or anti-vaccination. It's around educating our profession around the optimization and truly meeting our patients where they're at by creating a safe space for questions versus shaming our patients one way or the other. And this is why, again, I'm just so grateful for the work that you do, Dr. Taylor, because I think that this allows for more conversation and therefore um, better education and just understanding. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this with us. Yes. Well, thank you for having me because the more opportunities I get to speak about, the more people get to hear about vaccine optimization, what it means. And, you know, and if perhaps there's other, you know, healthcare practitioners out there that are looking to do the same and in their practice, you know, it, it, this is obviously not the area that I ever saw myself getting into. Mm -hmm. Um, When I graduated in 2012, it was more, I was interested in MSK work, pain management, chronic disease. That's where I thought my practice would head. And upon graduation, I moved to Dubai and we lived there for a year or so and then uh, became pregnant and moved to Singapore. And so in Singapore um, is where all of this started. It was, it's a country with, with uh, mandated vaccines, um, but being a new, new mom in a new country, you know, I, I, 
going through these, the pregnancy process and the labor process, you know, I had a lot of time to read and discover and whatnot. Um, and so I, I had a home birth in Singapore, which is quite rare as it is. I had the only obstetrician in all of Singapore that would attend a home birth. So that journey in itself, um, I did a lot of reading around, you know, optimizing the labor process and pain management and what that meant. And so he was very, um, he was great at whatever my birth plan was. And so I had an incredible laboring experience, um, even though, you know, I was, I was going against the mainstream, but, you know, you can still optimize even within it. And so it really, um, what was born out of that was this informed consent process of knowing all that what you can do with what you're doing. And so, and, and that has stuck with me, um, for anything that I do now in terms of the informed consent process, knowing exactly what that means, what it embodies and anything that we offer as physicians. So then as a new mother in a new country, um, and still again, I didn't think pediatrics was going to be a big part of my practice. It became a big part of my practice. Um, being a you know, new mom, a lot of um, mothers were coming to see me. And so within that became the conversation around vaccines and wasn't at that point vaccine optimization at all. It was more, I started getting cases and there's two that are etched in my mind um, of two different families that came in that had vaccinated their children and there had been adverse reactions. So they had spoken with their specialist, they had spoken with their GP and specialist. When it comes to Singapore, you can see basically anyone within, you know, 24 to 48 hours. And so the care is very good that way. So they had seen um, several different people. And so then they had come to see me. Um, it's usually what happens. You know, you see a naturopathic doctor as your last mm -hmm. resort, which is fine. So they had come in to see me and they had said, okay, well, you know, we, this incident had happened. And um, so we want to know if you can help us now. Um, and at that point, you know, being a new mom and an eager new ND, I, you know, was like, I can totally, I can totally help you. However, I actually don't know what I'm dealing with. I, I don't understand what, like what process occurred. I mean, yeah, you got a vaccine, sure, it was an antigen and, you know, you made an antibody. What more could it possibly be? So I don't understand what to do, what to use and why I would use anything. I mean, I, so I was very confused and, it, and because it happened to me twice um, and each moment, because you, know, you think as a new grad, you can almost do anything. I was very embarrassed that I didn't know what to do. And so that embarrassment really propelled me forward to figure out Okay, so it's already happened to me twice. You know, be it it happens again or not, I need to know more about a vaccine. What is it? What is it? What What are the mechanism at play? How does it actually work? There must be more to this. What is the immune response, and what's involved in that? And so that's you know that's going six years ago, and from there was I was felt like I was alone on a deserted island uh, around this subject. Same thing with reading MTHFR. Uh, reports as well. So they kind of went through these hand in hand where I need, like, I need to learn about this because as a naturopathic doctor in school, you learn about the schedule, 
you learn about the infections you're vaccinating against, and that is it. So it, there's no much more to it. And really, you know, there really doesn't need to be more to it in a way. Um, so, so that is where my journey started. And so with that was like, well, maybe I can optimize this process for families in some way. So I started digging a bit more and started to create somewhat a, a vaccine protocol in terms of, you know, healthy kiddos going in, um, supporting the microbiome, supporting the immune system in some way. And so that's where that started. And then moving back to Canada, here in British Columbia, um, naturopathic doctors are able to administer vaccines. So I took the, uh, the BCCDC course, uh, the same course that nurses take. And um, so from there, now I'm certified to administer for children five years and older. And because I also want, I still want to know more um, about, you know, and it, it was, it took me quite a while to complete the course, I think it's 16 or 20 modules, um, to really learn ab about this entire uh, program, vaccine program, and all that comes with it. So, um, and, and now, for, you know, now four years, um, it's become a large part of my practice. And, and with uh, a allowing the conversation around vaccines in my office um, to support families that are going to to have a vaccine it has really it's compelling to me of the the treatment of those families that have asked questions in the past and the fear now of asking more questions the shame that they had received by asking questions and that in itself led to hesitancy, to vaccine hesitancy is how they were treated. And they didn't have to be treated that way. Absolutely not. And so I saw a huge missing uh, piece within medicine around vaccines, not even just the administering part, just the conversation and allowing the space for them to ask questions. Because if you don't allow, allow them to ask questions, guess where they're going to go to? They're going to go to Google and they're going to go to Facebook groups. That is where a person will go. You put them in a corner and they need to know the answer they will seek answers elsewhere and be it it's right or wrong that's where they're going to get educated so i then was like well here's an opportunity for me to allow the conversation come in my office and we will talk about it and i'm doing the best that i can to know the ins and outs of the question and the information to provide them with with evidence-based medicine now because it's been a good four years of doing this, I've created uh, vaccine webinars to answer a lot of the questions that I seem to get because I'm answering a lot of the same questions over and over again. And um, be it that's fine, but you know, sort of reach more people and to maybe answer their questions in that framework rather than coming in and, and you know, doing it that way. Um, you know, and, and the webinars go through infant immunity, they go through the infections that we are vaccinating against to understand them. And then, um, and there are three parts. And the third part is about vaccine optimization, which includes 
how to raise healthy kiddos. I mean, that, that, it's not just um, just about vaccines in terms of uh, vaccine or infection prevention. It's the whole human body. It's all microbiome, uh, the immune system. I mean, you need a good immune system to respond to a vaccine. This is where we get people who do not seroconvert. So whom are those people? And it can be about a good 10% of people that are non-responders. They don't make antibodies very well. So in order to know that also is, well, you can do testing, although testing isn't 100% accurate. No test is. So this is where you can see if they have immunity to particular infections you vaccinated against, or maybe they contracted it naturally and they didn't um, show clue, like classical signs and symptoms of that infection. But we do have at our fingertips the ability to test to see if they had been. So there's all of that is about optimization, the conversation, the decisions. I have tons of people that come in with kiddos that are unvaccinated, they're nine months, they're 12 months, they're five years, they're 18. So they're, each of these families are on a different journey, a different awareness, um, wanting to know different things. Um, and so all throughout their journey, I mean, they want somebody that they feel safe talking to about it. And so that's what I'm trying to create um, here in my office. And I hope others are starting to create this as well, because this is a conversation that has come full tilt um, clearly is, is a conversation that I think a lot of people need to have mm -hmm. um, because you should never make a decision based on fear ever. That is not a good way to make a decision. Right. And so you should and that's make a decision. that's on both sides, right? That's not just one side or the other. That's, that's both sides that have kind of created this fear. And that's why I think it's so important what you are doing. And there's a few things that I would like to kind of have you elaborate on there. Um, one of them of course, we know docere, you know, informed consent is a big part of that. But then also, um, if you could maybe define for us the vaccine hesitancy and why that's important. And then we can move into a little bit of what the vaccine optimization looks like and what that means to you. Because I think that, you know, some people, they might hear that and, you know, that could just, you know, um, so if you could define what that means. But first, um, just talking about, and, and, and also to kind of reiterate what you said about there, you know, everyone is coming in, in a different, on a different journey. And so you have to think about the people who, you know, maybe they need it, that maybe they're going to a private school, their kiddos are in a private school, and maybe they need it for that school that they're going to. And, and because of the fear, or the just misunderstanding, understanding or you know they're just not sure how to go about that or you think about people in the military who you know are bombarded with it and so how how do they uh, uh, safely and optimally um, go through that and and so there's just all of these different these people in the in-between <laughs> that we would be leaving out if we just say yes or no you know and so I'm yeah. again I'm glad that this is kind of your wheelhouse is, is helping us um, speak to those that are in the in-between and that, you know, just need to know like, well, this is the situation I'm in. Like how, what do I do? Um, okay. So again, just so going informed back consent. to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can start with informed consent. Yeah. So when it comes to vaccines and informed consent, it's a seven, it's a seven part 
process to achieve informed consent. And part of that is the um, ability to ask questions. So, which is a big chunk of informed consent. And it's not necessary, informed consent with vaccines is not, do I have consent to poke a needle in your arm, is not the capacity of what informed consent means. You as the person receiving um, the vaccine needs to understand why you're doing it, the risks, the benefits. If you do vaccinate, if you don't vaccinate, this is you, informed consent is, is understanding if you do do it or if you don't do it and what is involved in either of those categories. And then you have the opportunity to ask more questions so you're fully understanding why you're doing this medical intervention. And then, then I have your approval to administer the vaccine. Um, and then we go from there. So for this is why when I, I have um, vaccine consultations, they're an hour. Now, if family knows that they're going to vaccinate, then we'll have a half an hour uh, chat because there's stuff that comes with that. Um, and then go from there. So it, it's not a five minute conversation. It's not just, can I administer it? Yes or no informed consent under the BC Center of Disease Control is a seven-part process, and part of that is the opportunity to ask questions. And I am to also tell you the risks and the benefits of vaccinating and the risks and the benefits of not vaccinating. That is the conversation that is supposed to unfold. That is through the training of, for me, and nurses and those who take um, that the program. So I am adhering to that because that is part of the training and I'm not I'm trying not to miss a beat either it would be easy to but that is where I'm trying to create this this is this is my vaccine program this is what it should entail now I have the ability to have an hour conversation with you I have a half I have the ability to have a half an hour conversation with you so that is the beauty of being within um, private healthcare is that I can do that. Uh, we don't only have five minutes because it, that's just the way the program has been scheduled in the public system. But privately, I can do that and offer that. So um, that, that allows us to really achieve informed consent because I never, ever want someone to come into my office after we've chatted and say, you never told me this. And I, I never want that day to come. So that's on my shoulders. And so um, I don't want that on my consciousness either, that I want you to leave and me knowing, because at the end of the day, I have no feelings around your decision. No, zero. You want to vaccinate. If you don't want to vaccinate, I really don't care. I don't, I don't care. What I care about is that you have been fully informed. So, because I am here to be an unbiased, the, the point of my, jo my job is to inform you of this intervention so that you make an informed decision. And so I don't have any feelings if you do vaccinate. I mean, I don't have any, it's, it's your decision, it's your body, it's your decision. But I need to know that I have informed you enough so that you make the informed decision. That is it. That is my job. That is my role. That is my position. That is what we're supposed to do. You can take that for with anything. You can take that with uh, you have cancer, and if you should do chemo or radiation, or you know you need to do a colonoscopy or not. 
you need to have surgery or not. It, it's all informed consent is the same uh, embodiment with e within each of those because you need to know the risks and the benefits of doing or not doing um, that intervention. And that's, you know, uh, I give that, I offer that. And so that takes a long time mm -hmm. for you to achieve full informed consent. It takes a long time to, to be very well informed. Right. It does. And so, I, I like that a, you've, you've talked and I've heard in other talks as well about also taking into consideration um, what that person's individual risks are if they were to get the infection versus the vaccine, which I think vaccine. is also important as well, especially when you're thinking of different countries, we all have, you know, we live in different circumstances, but then we're also coming in with different levels of health. So there's so many mm -hmm. things to take into consideration with any type of intervention that you do. Um, and so vaccination is no different. So I'm, I was um, you know, I loved that you, you talked about that as well. It's not just about, you know, what might, it's not just about the side effects, um, the potential side effects from getting the vaccination, but it's also about the risks um, and your susceptibility and, you know, potential severity of, of what that illness would look like for you if you were to get the illness, right? So, um, and, and, and yeah. I think that would go along with the informed consent as well, right? Sure. Well, you know, and, and as a healthcare provider, you, you aren't to have emotion, like you have emotions, but to not be emotional within the conversation because um, that could sway you. And, and it's not about me swaying you. And so I don't have emotions. And when I, and I want people to understand that when I say I don't care, I, ca I care about you. I care, but um, I don't have any, any emotional, um, attachment, you know, contact, you know, I don't have an attachment. I don't, I should say, I don't have an attachment, emotional attachment to your decision. And so therefore that's where the, where I don't, I don't share sure, Great. Do what you want to do what you need to do, um, in your circumstance, in your scenario, because, um, I can't have emotion to it. That that's inappropriate for me to have emotion to your decision, completely inappropriate. So I am to be um, unbiased to to what to vaccines and and the emo and it's very emotionally charged topic. And so I'm working very you know I've tried to come at this very from and, and there's no emotion um, with it. It's just let's be transparent um, and and let's talk. That's it. And so let's put our emotions aside first off and let's just talk about the research. Let's talk about the infections. Let's understand the infection of why there have been vaccines offered for those infections. And then let's go from there. Um, because yes, being having lived in Singapore, the vaccine schedule is different from British Columbia. The British Columbian schedule is different to Saskatchewan, Ontario, Quebec, New Brunswick. So though, and it's different from the United States. So also people might come out of thinking the entire world is on the exact same vaccine schedule, timing, and even vaccines themselves. So that's in itself is its own understanding, which takes a bit to understand, but you can easily know what your vaccine schedule is by going to your public health authority 
and then you know. I don't know everybody's either, but I, I have a little bit more information around that. I know, you know, if there's a country that just offers a measles vaccine or just offers an MR vaccine, because a lot of people ask me if they can split the MMR vaccine. And I could be very short in my answer with that, or I could offer a little bit more information and saying, did you know these other countries do it? And because I have an international base of patients, yes, I have had people moving to that country. And so it, it, then it was like, well, did you know that the country you're moving to offers X, Y, Z? Oh, I didn't know that, that the country that I'm moving to has that. So that is the optimization piece around the conversation is really educating also them of the different scenarios that are more pertinent to them, patients that are moving to different countries, why there's different vaccines um, there offered then versus here and different types within the same um, infection that we're vaccinated. There's different routes. So, and that's important um, to discuss. So, that, so from moving from there, um, we, you want to talk about hesitancy. Mm -hmm. So vaccine hesitancy um, is, you know, looked as a threat uh, because more and more people are hesitant to do a vaccine. And I, I bring that up because what I see within media or what I see within conversations is finger pointing. And finger, someone wants to point the finger at somebody as to why hesitancy um, is, a, is a big movement. And naturopathic doctors get pulled into that. So I'm very protective of naturopathic doctors. And I'm protective of them because fingers like to be pointed at NDs as to why this movement has started. And I'm here to say it is not naturopathic doctors that are part of that movement whatsoever. And when you are treated with disrespect and you are shamed, you are yelled at, lo and behold, that person does not want to come back to see you. They do not want to talk to you about the vaccines. And when you talk to someone like that, then obviously it, it sends their you know, hair up that something must be going on for you to talk to me like that. And so that is where hesitancy starts to be born. And you're going to get someone hesitant, not wanting to vaccinate the, because of how they were treated. And naturopathic doctors, I think, do not treat people that way. We also, because we have 30 or minutes to an hour with them in a room, I don't think you want to talk to someone like that and still have to stay in the room with them for the next, you know, 50 minutes. Um, versus if you know that you've only got three minutes, well... They're in and out and you won't see them again, probably. Um, but that's where I really bring up um, the hesitancy part um, because we just, we get brought into the conversation of why there's hesitancy. Um, and, and so that's why I talk about it because I'm very protective of my colleagues and the profession because we're not, I, we are not part of it. We're not part of where that hesitancy was born and where it came from. It was there already, it started, and we have got nothing to do with it, in my opinion. Um, and so that's okay if you wanna disagree with me. However, that's your finger pointing is not at the profession. Um, it's how you treat people. That's, and whomever is treating people that way, perhaps you need to have a conversation with them or have, when you have vaccine, um, conferences that does need to be part of uh, 
the conversation either someone needs to come in and talk in about that because the amount of uh, feedback I get from patients, it's outstanding. Outstanding how many people have told me how they were treated by simply, and it could be simply an eye roll from the practitioner they're talking to. It could just be the tone of their voice. It could be um, just a sound they may, you know, they may like, that's, I feel like I don't feel like I can continue talking about this. You know, my heart rate goes up. Um, now I'm, I, I don't want to be here anymore and I'm not going to say anymore. Um, I have patients that come here and start crying just because they get to talk. That's it. That is, you know, I mean, it's clearly a, this, it's an issue. It's an issue. So, and, and I haven't said anything yet. I haven't even said anything and they start crying. Um, because they, they can let their guard down, they can talk to a professional and just start talking. And it's not even, and I'm not even answering anything. It's just, it becomes almost a counseling session is what it is. Um, and they're like, look, I just needed someone to just, I just talk to you one-on-one and get this off my chest. Um, please, please, I'm so sorry for this question. You know, and they apologize. (laughs) This is a place you don't have to apologize. You know, I try to make it light and fun in a way, you know, let's, let's smile. Let's laugh. Let's, it's okay. Take a deep breath and let's start talking. So that's where the hesitancy piece comes from. Um, Yeah. So it sounds like, yeah, we have the building blocks as naturopathic doctors. We have the time to be able, we understand the importance of docere and informed consent. And so we have the building blocks. So um, yeah. So the last thing within there was on the optimization. So what can we do as practitioners for those that, you know, it's within their scope, maybe they're seeing um, patients that are coming in with those questions. Um, Maybe they have a kiddo who they need it for school or for a group that they're participating in. Or again, maybe it's someone who's um, going into the military or going overseas and they need um, they need them for where they're going. So where do you kind of start? And I know this is going to, you know, there's so many different circumstances, but just in a general way, like uh, where do you kind of begin with um, talking mm-hmm. to them and with, um, yeah, thinking about totally. the, so, what factors are you yeah. looking for? <laughs> Absolutely. So this is, um, so this is a large part of my, the third part of my webinar series, because what I like to go through with patients is um, a, lar- a large base of my kiddos are going to be young, younger um, within the vaccinating um, time zone, so, so meaning from zero to 12 months. I like to know about pregnancy history. I like to know about labor, C-section versus vaginal birth. If there was any intervention, breastfed or not breastfed um are they well right now they won't be but traveling at all um are they going to a daycare how many people live in the home and perhaps what kind of uh job those people have so all of these are telling me about um the increased potential risk of contraction but also more so the susceptibility of that child if they were to contract the infection um that part i want to know because vaccines are not 100 percent effective they are not they have efficacy but they're not 100 percent which means 
there is a zone there, a percentage there, where we have to come in and, and realize that. And so what are we going to do if they did contract the infection, even though they had been vaccinated? So what are things that I can, what can I as an ND then teach my patients to uh, lower that threshold of susceptibility? So um, probiotics have been shown to even to help with efficacy, vaccine efficacy. Um, and we're going to use probiotics if we know, or spore-based probiotics if we know um, the child has had a C-section or they're not being breastfed. Um, we're going to make sure that they're going to get a bit of prebiotics in there as well. Vitamin C levels. So vitamin C is something that I will do um, before and after vaccines, showing some literature around why that's important. Glutathione is something else. And um, alongside with glutathione would be the the conversation around Tylenol, why we would not do Tylenol before the vaccine and why we would, we would try and not do Tylenol after the vaccine. So Tylenol in itself can lower the immunogenicity of the vaccine, meaning lower the effectiveness. Plus, for those of, of you that are watching, um, are probably aware that um, Tylenol will reduce uh, glutathione within the body. And so there is a subset of people that are, when they take acetaminophen, Tylenol, it is glutathione dependent to break down. And there's some people that have the decreased ability to do that. And so since they do, they can have more of a very inflammatory, toxic metabolite of acetaminophen floating around the body. So that's not good. So that's where you as an ND talk about other things you would do for a fever, because that's why Tylenol is given um, after the vaccine. Um, but you don't need to just, you know, prophylactically give Tylenol um, at all, not before the vaccine, um, and, and try not to do it after the vaccine. If you do, then you have glutathione on board. So those are some of those things um, that I do. I do some more specific things around the, vac the vaccine time, but um, these are some good general guidelines, I think, that we all can be doing um, and having that conversation of, about health history and then supporting the body, the terrain, um, regardless if you have a vaccine or not, regardless, mm -hmm. because I have a lot of people who think I've been vaccinated, I'm 100, I'm totally fine to live in this world. I will never contract that infection at all, conclusively, 100%. <laughs> so... No, actually, um, it, it is very clear that even though you may have had a vaccine, you can still contract the infection. And that can be because um, you did not make antibodies very well is going to be the main one. The antibodies wore off. Um, if whatever, if we're dealing with a, with a virus, perhaps it has had its mutation or it's a different genotype when we're talking measles. So there's other things at play here. So I, I don't want people to have uh, blinders on thinking, no matter what, my kid can't get sick either um, because they've had a vaccine. Yes, people who, children, people who've had vaccines still get sick because there are trillions of viruses amongst us. And, you know, so there, it, you're still in a, a soup of pathogens. Um, it's all about supporting the terrain in the body to be able to handle that infection when they do indeed contract it. Cause it's always the after part. What, what, how do they, do they bode well or no? So um, that's a big part. And the optimization is going to be around how you treat your patients. That's a big, big part. And also um, 
offering uh, titer testing as well. So that's a, a one that I'll offer if I have a kiddo that's uh, four or five years of age to have their kindergarten MMR shot. Say, hey, do you want to know if maybe they've um, if they have immunity already? We could do that. Kiddos are great. We we do the blood draw in house and we check to see if they have immunity. And hey, they do. So then it's great because we have that on paper to show that they do. Um, and then we can, we can check, you know, in another five years and I don't mind doing that. It's another step, but I don't mind doing that. And for me, it's, it's great research, even for myself, if titer testing is not 100% either, I know that it has its own flaws. Um, so, but it's what I have right now. I don't, I, I don't have anything else to know if the person has immunity to it. You have no idea if the person has immunity to it. You don't have no idea if the person um, when, when, or if they come in contact with an infection won't, uh, or will be okay. There's no way of knowing until the day comes. Um, we don't, we don't test out how well a vaccine works, um, by sending them out in the world. And we know that measles is right in front of them. We don't, you don't do that, um, to see if their vaccine works. You don't. So, um, so anyway, so that's something that's another optimization you can do is you can offer that in the States, you can check for pertussis. Uh, I'm pretty sure here we cannot. So I can check for measles, mumps, rubella, hepatitis B. I can do tetanus. If you've just had a tetanus shot, um, maybe they'll throw in diphtheria in there. They have done that in the past. Um, and that's about it. You can't check for uh, pneumococcal, you know, the pneumococcal um, vaccine to meningococcal, um, haemophilus influenza type B. I can't check polio. I can't check for those things. So mm. there's ones that you can't check and there's ones that you can, um, maybe in the future, those will be at our fingertips would be great, but yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, there's, there's so many different, oh my gosh, topics within this. I think, mm -hmm. I think two, well, maybe one of the biggest concerns that I think most practitioners and um, the public is concerned about are the constituents, the things that are within um, the vaccination. So what do, um, maybe one, like, what are some of the common questions that maybe you get and how do you navigate those? I know that you always have the inserts available, which, you know, um, lays out what's within them. And I, I also remember you mentioning that, uh, almost every country has different, you know, they could, they could have different components within, within that. So, you know, you want to make sure that you have the, um, the forms yep. for the one that they're actually getting uh, when you're doing the informed consent. But yeah, what kind of questions do you tend to get and how do you kind of navigate those questions either with practitioners? Cause I'm sure that you talk to a lot of practitioners about this as well as, you know, your, your patients. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yes, you're banging on with the vaccine inserts. On my website, uh, www.drtaylorbean.com, I have a vaccine section. And so on that is all of the Canadian vaccine mm -hmm. inserts um, because those are licensed for Canada. I've had one person that took one vaccine and compared it to the United States, I think it was a little bit different um, in what it was, it had on the insert. I have not done, I've not done any comparisons mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's just, they're about eight or nine pages long. So 
Um, great if someone wanted to compare them, that would be excellent. But <laughs> we have them laced. We have only a, a small amount of vaccines available. Um, we don't have a lot of, you know, when it comes to MMR, there can be two of them. Um, we don't have a DTAP. So there's, there's knowing even um, the, the ones available to you first off. So that's a big part of my discussion is what is available to you to use um, because other countries have, you know, different vaccines and, and different combos as well, smaller ones, larger ones and so forth. And um, so the reading the vaccine insert is a great place to start. Um, I really encourage people to do that first. Um, it's going to be eight or nine pages. I have the vaccine inserts in my office that are originally from the package. So I have them, all of them, so people can always take a look if they like. I've had people take pictures or photocopy uh, because that's actually from um, the box itself. And when people do get a vaccine, I give them the insert that's in the box so they get to have it as well. So when it comes to um, what is in a vaccine, you know, I go, I go through that list, um, especially within my lectures, but I, I more dive into aluminum is one that I like to demystify because what I see is a lot of memes that are used. I don't, sometimes I like memes, but some, when it comes to medicine, I don't because it's, it's either being disrespectful or flippant or not evidence-based whatsoever. Um, I just don't think they're funny. So when it comes to aluminum, you'll see a picture that says, you know, what's in food is, this, is more than what's in a vaccine. So I go through this in fine detail because it, I think it's warranted. And because aluminum is a, a really important component and one of the larger components of the vaccine because it is what stimulates an immune response. There's other things in there, you know, neomycin, um, polysorbate 80, uh, well, other things, formaldehyde that will be in there. Um, and they play a role, but I think aluminum is the bigger one to talk about at the top because it caught, it is what will stimulate the immune system. And it's not in live. I have people who think it's in live viral vaccines. It is not. Um, so it's in largely in most of the vaccines um, in, within infancy. And aluminum in vaccines is different than what is in food because it has to be what's in food is a water soluble form of aluminum and it is does not act as an adjuvant in a vaccine it does because it is to act as an adjuvant yes there is more aluminum in food than in a vaccine what's interesting though is when you eat food with aluminum in it you will only absorb 0.1 to 0.3% of what you are consuming. The rest will leave and whatever did absorb will make its way out because it's water soluble if you've got good kidney function. So that will leave the body. Now within a vaccine, the route is through the arm, primarily through the arm, either it's intramuscular or subcutaneous. So once it enters the body, be it sub-Q or, or intramuscular, it is present 100%. Now, what happens is that aluminum can turn, um, it, it's either going to break in quickly or slowly into water-soluble 
or non-water soluble form. The non-water soluble form binds to the antigen. It's highly antigenic so that the innate immune system, we're talking about macrophages, endodytic cells, can come over to the location and engulf phagocytose, that antigen. And then the immune cascade begins. But you need to stimulate the immune system. You have it bound to that antigen. Otherwise, the antigen doesn't stay hovering in the site that you injected. Otherwise, it just leaves. The antigen just leaves. And maybe an antibody is made from it or not, but not to the point that you require to need to create immunity. Enough antibodies so that it's effective when you, when you get the antigen to be effective. There is a threshold of making antibodies. So that is the difference between food and a vaccine. A is the route and B is the form. And then you have an immune system that, um, innate immune system that will engulf that antigen and travel to where it needs to go into a lymph node through the lymphatic system to a lymph node to present it to a B and T cell so that then an antibody can be created or it's killed. So then there's this whole cascade that goes with that. There's other components along the way that occur that I don't you know, need to go into detail now. Um, that is where I'm looking at in terms of my own work around understanding from point A to point B, how a vaccine works and how it achieves what it needs to achieve and what occurs along the way. And, and if I should know about that, and why do I need to know about it? And what would I do if I need to mitigate that if I need to or not? Do I need to calm down any of those processes? Why would I need to do that? So that's where my work is getting. My questions come in where I am asking the immunologists, um, the people involved in vaccines to so that I can do a better job. Um, again, because going back to when I had two families come into my office in Singapore, I did not have an answer. And that was not good enough to me. I needed to have an answer and I didn't have one. So now my journey is to be able to be essentially have an, I'm trying to have an answer for any question, but there are, there are answer, there are questions that there may not be an answer to, and there'll never be an answer to, but I'm going to be honest in the fact that I don't think there's an answer to that. Um, I don't know if there ever will be an answer to your question, but here's a place that you can ask that question. Um, I'm not going to make anything up because I know what I know, and um, but there's a lot of things I don't. So I have a lot of colleagues that will send me information. Um, please dis disagree with me. Please disagree with me because then your disagreement might mean I just learned something new. And then I'll take that and run with it. And either I will work with that and say, actually, no, that doesn't make any sense to me. Because I don't, again, I'm trying not to have emotion in this. It's, mm -hmm. I'm trying to just be very, um, just level-headed. Um, if I'm wrong, fine. If I'm right, fine. It's not about being right or wrong. It's just knowing, having the information to be able to do what's best and um, be able to fix things that they need to be fixed because that is the, you know, a point of our profession is to yeah. find the root cause of dis-ease. Doctor as teacher, I mean, going through, you know, our oath and what our principles mean and, and Do stay no uh, grounded with that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, um, and I would say the other 
constituent, the other component that gets talked a lot about is thimerosal. And I know that you've mentioned um, that can get methylated to methylmercury. And so a lot of what you focus on, it sounds like, is, okay, how do we help to optimize the, the body so that we can then remove that? So is there anything um, key there that any like clinical pearls or anything that you would say about that? So thimerosal is not really top of my list of, shall I say, concern. Um, mm -hmm. It's going to be your multi-flu shot. Um, but it is something to be aware of in terms of, yes, thimerosal, ethylmercury will be methylated to methylmercury in time. And so we talk a lot about methylmercury. So just, just knowing that I think is important and not dismissing, well, it's just ethyl. No, you should understand the biochemistry. You should. Um, and it's okay to know that. It, that is what happens. So, um, you know, work with that if you want to work with that. Um, but, um, you know, I think with aluminum then is, you know, working on the systems that would need support to remove. This is why... Um, pooping every day is important. This is why sweating is important. This is why movement is important. Sleep, of course, is important. Being hydrated is important. And then taking some things that would have some affinity to those. You know, aluminum is not a heavy metal, but it, it is. Um, and so a metal. So we would take things that uh, should, should have affinity to that. But I think movement and mobilization um, is in itself very helpful. You know, glutathione. Too. This is why we do glutathione. It's a gentle, it's a very, it's a gentle chelator. Um, but um, yeah, so I utilize the things that help the systems that would, um, that are responsible for removing um, anything. You know, these are amunctories. So I work largely on the amunctories from kidneys and liver um, and then from digestion, uh, you know, probiotics and, and whatnot and good food. And, and if you can breastfeed, great. If not, then, you know, making sure we're getting other things in. So you're, you're still working similarly on the systems, um, be it it's a vaccine or not, you, you mm -hmm. know, work on the amunctories. And so that's part of um, my work as well with children, adults, anyone that's doing a vaccine. Um, and because I understand what's in the vaccine and it needs right. to come out. Um, or not, and or the body will be able to to deal with it, um, or not. And so, is there adverse reactions to vaccines? Yes, that is why there's an adverse um, reaction reporting system in place. And yes, it is here in British Columbia, and I have, and it's across the country. And reporting it is reporting adverse reaction is important. They want it reported so that at annually, put all this information together and see if there's any trends in place for, with any vaccines. This is why the lot number is important, um, even how you injected to where you injected, because some are sub-Q, some are IM, and, and then which part of the body you, did, you administered it. Um, and, and so I have, you know, so all of these things, even with patients, is there is a, a three-page table within the BCCDC of possible adverse reactions, and they are um, time sensitive, meaning it could be from zero to 72 hours, zero to 40 days, typically would be a live viral one. So these are the things that are important so that we can, either we know it was from a vaccine or we know it was not, so we know how to help the person. 
uh, more appropriately? Do we dismiss it or, or do we, we bring it in in terms of our DDX to was the vaccine that was part of this or not? We should be able to comfortably have conversations around this rather than to be dismissive because then you will miss how you should have helped that person. And so I want to help my patients the best is like, that is my job. And so if I dismiss something, you know, you're this diagnostic overshadowing that keeps happening in so many different ways, then you're not going to be able to be a good healthcare practitioner. So um, that's what we all have to understand this completely. And sometimes it's not, I've had kiddos that have had seizures pre-vaccines, pre. So when they have a seizure, you know, a week after a vaccine, it's pretty hard to, well, it was absolutely vaccine. You've had them before you had a vaccine. So, and that's, these the, they know that this is the conversation that we have because, you know, it, this is, this is transparency around this conversation, but there is an adverse reporting system that's in place here within British Columbia and Canada. It's the same um, format. And so that I've never had to report an adverse reaction, never. So um, that's great. But I, and, and so this is the A to B, A to Z when it comes to vaccine for me, vaccines is the entirety of the process. I am trying to tighten up the process where you have, you understand what we're dealing with. Uh, we're going to vaccinate. We have an adverse reporting system in place. If need be, you call me right away. And so that, you know, I am that I will answer that call. We will, they know absolutely you, you get a hold of me right away and I will be available to you, but it hasn't happened. So be it, we're doing things, well, um, it, you know, what have you, um, to, to mitigate a possible adverse reaction. Any medical intervention has the possibility of having a reaction to it. Mm -hmm. You could use botanical medicine and you could have an adverse reaction. I've had rea reactions to B12 shots, IV therapy. I mean, there, it can, homeopathy, I've had people have reactions to. So it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter no one gets to get a get a jail free card ever in, in something that I'm using. All of them I'm going to question, be it's a B12 shot, be it was an herb I gave you, be it was a vaccine, you're equally involved. Uh, you know, you don't get to be excused at all from the dinner table. You're all here and I'm gonna ask you and pinpoint, you know, could you have done this to the body? Could you have done this to the body? How would that have worked? Um, and so, and, and being, there's equality in all of these things um, in, in, and I think we should. So just to people know that, that yeah, we, we shy away, really shy away from the adverse reaction piece, of course, but a lot, a lot of times, yes, it's going to be mild and a fever is not an adverse reaction. It's not, you're having an immune response to something that's stimulating the immune uh, system to respond to something. So um, this is where the conversation around Tylenol comes in and what else should you try to use beyond Tylenol? Um, but you as an ND, that's where you find, you learn about and you use for on your patients that, um, or you do use Tylenol. Um, I try to go towards Advil, um, instead, but if you're going to use Tylenol, then you, you have glutathione on board, plain and simple. So, um, that's, the optimization piece. <laughs> yeah. And I just wanted to kind of um, circle back a little bit as far as when you are thinking about removing those potential metals um, timing wise, because I believe you said it takes about seven 
seven days or so. Um, yeah, if you could just talk about yeah, if you could just talk about timing when you start to maybe think about um, either the aluminum or the methylmercury. Well, the I would say the thimerosal isn't um, it isn't big on my radar because it's really not in any of the vaccines okay. that we're using. It's not so it's not it's not part of my radar. Um, but this is where you got to know what you're using as well. So mm -hmm. in one of my lectures, I talk, there's a paper that Dr. Paul Offit, who's a vaccinologist, he references vaccines that have thimerosal in it. And so I reference his work, um, but there's very few. And one of the vaccines we don't even have in Canada. So that's, you know, with you as the administering person or the person receiving, what are you, what are you, what vaccine are you getting? And then you can do your due diligence to read the um, vaccine insert and see what's in it. But pretty much um, thimerosal is one of those that's, to me, is not, it's, it's on my radar, but it's not because I know what we're using, like which vaccines we're using. So aluminum is a different story where in terms of, I, I do know um, that it's in vaccines and which ones we're using and um, because if it's live, it, you're not using, although some of them, when they become a single vaccine, they will use um, a tetanus toxoid as the adjuvant. So they're not even using um, aluminum as the adjuvant. So there are different adjuvants also mm -hmm. that are used. That aren't, it's not only aluminum is the only adjuvant used. So there's different ones that are used. So then get to know your vaccines. So then you get to know what's in them. So then you can have that dialogue, but Again, when it comes, so this is my pre-post-vaccine protocol. I'm supporting amongtries two weeks before and two weeks after. So it's, for me, yes, timing, but they're doing it leading up to and afterwards. So we're doing it for a full month of supporting um, amongtries is what we're doing. And we've got glutathione that we're using, um, not every day, but that's being part of it. Um, and, and we, because it takes with aluminum, um, you know, it, it, it takes a bit for it to break apart and some of it is going to leave the body as water soluble and some it's not. So then it's going to be mobilized around the body because those immune cells need to go and present to, uh, the TMB cells. Um, and then, so it's a long process. So this is where you know, detoxing, shall we say, or supporting among trees is something that we should be doing all the time anyways. And that is movement, that is water, that is having good bowel movements. Um, that is elimination. You are excreting and, and moving out. Um, so yeah, I mean, there isn't a, isn't really a one size fits all protocol in this. In a way there, there, there are similar things I use with everybody, but again, um, it's the monk trees. It's the monk trees that you want to be um, working on. And as naturopathic doctors, you know what that means. Mm -hmm. So, and you, you use those and there's different ways that you, that you all like to do it. Um, but there's, you know, there's different products that we like to use in terms of uh, a monk tree support. Um, but don't forget about the eliminating pathways. So that's how, um, in terms of timing, I mean, it's two weeks before and two weeks after. So it's we're continuation um, is what we're doing. Yeah. 
Okay. I think that's, that's good to know um, for people who are working, you know, just helping to optimize. Um, and, you know, and I'm happy because, and I'll just say too, because in, in the webinar, in the third webinar, um, you know, I don't give specific dosages. I don't say specific uh, companies um, because the public can listen to it as well. So if you're a practitioner listening, that's where as a practitioner, you and I can have a better dialogue of what that is and what might be better uh, for you. So I do, you know, I can do consults with um, doctors as well. And I've done that before. Like, well, what are you using? How much are you using? When are you using? So those specifics I do on a one-on-one, -on -one, um, but I do talk about a little bit of what it looks like in my pre-post protocol within uh, the third webinar. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. And just to kind of wrap this up, what are some of your favorite resources um, that have helped you on your journey towards, you know, um, becoming an, an expert? It's, um, you know, it started with, you know, Dr. Zwicky, who is a immunologist. She has some great work out there. So that's the um, immunity side that I've, I've learned a lot from her. She has she spoke at uh, one of our conferences she's got some online work um uh dr andrews who is a naturopathic doctor so she has her work as well and so i've learned a lot from her as well um so other immunologists would be um you know dr tatiana to the also the book the unvaccinated child so that's written by two uh, naturopathic doctors. That's a very good book because that is for vaccinated and unvaccinated kids because mm -hmm. kiddos get sick and they might get infected with that infection you vaccinated against. And what it does is it teaches you, also gives you pictures so you can look for some of the physical um, ailments that may come, you know, if it's measles, you know, what does it look like? Uh, which I think is, you know, something really to, to, to know for you as a parent to almost try to diagnose it yourself in a way so that you, if you go to the ER, your GP, your, your thought process, and maybe that will trigger your GP to be like, oh yeah, that's right. This does look like this. Um, so, you know, cause there's, you only have so much time with them. Um, so to help them out in terms of maybe the diagnosis piece, um, one book that I really like is The Ideological Constructs, Ideological Constructs of Vaccination. So this woman did her PhD in vaccines. Yeah, I haven't read the whole thing, but it is, it's a great book. It has full of research. Um, so you, it'll take you a while to read through it. <laughs> so that's another really good one that I like. Um, I think that's um, evident for us is, is, uh, practitioners to, to be aware of and read. So that's what that's. And then from there is, is where do you want to go with what you're learning within right. the realm of vaccines? What do you want to know? And, um, do you want to just, you're doing vaccines. You want to do a little bit better. Um, what kind of questions? So my patients have taught me what I need to know. Um, because every single time that before they come in for a vaccine consult, they send in their questions. It's like, Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and so there's a lot of things. I don't know what I don't know either. Um, you know, I'm trying to even look at in infectious rates of those infections, you know, the past 50 years and having that and watching the, you know, the rise and fall. I think that's, you know, something to know about understanding the infections themselves is something that we need to better understand as well. So getting to know the infections 
Um, what are they about? I mean, there's, I think there's stuff about measles. A lot of people are not aware of them. And I say measles because it's kind of one of those top, you know, we've had a measles um, frenzy media wave that was, you know, a year and a half ago that, you know, circled, you know, our media outlets. And um, so that's why measles is sort of still, I think, ripe in our brain of, about, you know, uh, the prevalence of, and maybe the severity of, or not the severity of, and who does it affect, and what does it look like, and how do you feel if you get it, and um, so there's more, more to it, and mm-hmm. does it happen in the, in the vaccinated, does it not, so that's where, you know, you go down those lines um, in terms of education, so there's so many subcategories yeah. in this, you know, <laughs> yeah. so many. Well, yeah. I appreciate all of the work that you are doing to help, you know, keep us all educated and informed. And where can people, before I ask my last question, where can people um, learn more about the work that you're doing and where can they learn more from you? Mm. So my website is probably the, one of the better place, places to go. So that's www.drdrtaylorbean.com. Also, Instagram is drtaylorbean.nd. So I will post more of upcoming things more so on Instagram, um, a little bit on Facebook. It's more Instagram. And then my website is where you can find the webinars and more information on vaccines is there as well. Just the inserts really um, mm-hmm. is on my website. So yeah, that's really the, that's it. Really Great. Wonderful. Well, again, mm-hmm. thank you so much for all of the work that you do. Um, and, and lastly, I always just love to hear, you know, what keeps you inspired in naturopathic medicine and hopeful for the future of healthcare? Well, what keeps me inspired is my patience. I mean, that, that the, um, you know, having the, those one-on-one conversations with patients and being able to, you know, give them the information of whatever it is. I mean, man, can we make some beautiful changes in people's lives and just the connections that we can make um, within our communities is, that's what keeps, that is what really does keep me going. And when I have, you know, sick kiddos that come in and we can, you know, turn them around to wellness. Um, and that means they're getting sick all the time to they're experiencing constipation. They are not sleeping really well. Um, you know, cognition attention is poor and we as NDs have the tools and the knowledge around to help those kiddos. And to me, to me, they're the, our future. They are our future. And so pediatrics, why pediatrics is such a huge part of my practice is because I need the next generations to be healthy. And unfortunately, the trend is an increase in terms of, of chronic disease in our children. Um, and I want to be part of trying to fix that. And it's, it, within my community, it's happening. So, and that can even start with again, even start with pregnancy and your options around labor. And I do um, a lot of acupuncture for, for helping with labor induction, cervical dilation, you know, cause that's what mamas want. And so I think the starting point of a relationship with your child and even health of your child starts, you know, that labor part and skin to skin and breastfeeding and all of that. But then um, giving people tools to help their kiddos thrive 
So, and when I see them start thriving and they weren't, I mean, there's nothing any more inspirational than that, I think. And because when you treat kiddos, you're treating the entire family. I mean, if the child is not sleeping, the parents aren't sleeping, you know, it's just, it's, it's a whole family affair. If mom's not sleeping, well, it doesn't really affect the child, but the child's not sleeping, it'll affect the entire family. And, you know, it, it can create a lot of, um, anxiety and a lot of, you know, between parents, you know, if their kiddos just aren't well. And so that's where, uh, you know, my focal point within my practice is now going is to really help um, our next generation thrive and for children to reach their potential because they can, whatever is going on with your kiddo, they there is a potential for them and we've got to get them there with which that they can reach. And so um, it's widely inspirational when I have these, you know, the feedback of parents that are like, my child slept last night. Oh my God. I was up because I was expecting them to get up, but (laughs) done. My job is done. So, you know, you as an ND that's listening, whomever you're working with in your in your practice, you are making a difference. Be it, you know, you don't know, I don't hear from patients literally two years later. And they're like, you know, you got rid of that. I'm like, oh, thank you. I had no idea if I had or I hadn't. But know that you are making a difference in people's lives. You may not always get the feedback and know about it. Um, and, you know, some people just, they don't talk about their changes. You know, they're very private, um, what's going on with them. So you don't hear from them. Then you find the vocal ones so you never know who's coming into your office and then you help the one that's very vocal and tells the world, um, you know, what you've done. And so, uh, that in itself is, is incredible. You can't, you can't fix everyone and you know, you're not going to, even the things that you're doing might not fix everyone, but know that you are making a change and just being a safe place for people coming to talk to you in itself is, is so healing. You have no idea, um, how healing it is for people to come in and, be able to talk to someone. So, mm-hmm. yeah. well, I love that, and you know, I think so many naturopathic doctors can agree that you know it's the patients and clients that really keep keep people going. Um, it's a tough job that we have, and that's why I always like to ask that question because you know wherever we can derive our inspiration from, I think will just help keep us going, so that we can help um, continue to help others, because I I really do think that, um, you know, we have so much to offer. So um, thank you again for all of the work that you do. I think that you're a huge inspiration um, in so many ways. And so I'm I'm very grateful for your time and just everything that you're doing. So um, thank you. Thank you again, Dr. Taylor. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is great. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you all for listening and for watching. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to keep the inspiration going. As always, be well and stay inspired.